Bing, bang, boom. Episode 23 of the Smart Nonsense Podcast. We're back. I'm Dylan. That's Henry. Today, we're jumping into part two of our Never Split the Difference by Chris Foss breakdown. And ooh-wee, yesterday we were, we were hopping and sizzling all over the the summary of the book. We still got a little bit of uh, goodies left from the summary, and then we'll get into <laughs> It was all over the place. I feel like, uh, I, I hope that even if you didn't read the book, you kind of take away like five things from what we were talking about, but I recognize it was kind of crazy. Yeah, we, we got the scatterbrain approach where we're just shotgunning stuff at the wall and hopefully, well, I guess in this scenario, it hits you. Hopefully, we shotgunned you down. But uh, but I mean, there's, there's so much there. If we want to do like a, a brief recap, uh, a large amount of the book is, all right, you come into negotiation. First, you want to understand their whole perspective. And that's where this tactical empathy comes in where you use mirrors, which is just basically repeating what they said uh, so that it shows you're listening. A lot of active listening techniques, basically. So mirrors, labels, like it seems like it sounds like you're angry or it seems like you're having budgetary issues, whatever. Um, you can just budgetary. label what they're saying. And is that then real? Budgetary as a word. Budgetary? Henry has never worked for a business, so he doesn't understand anything. And then last, you can summarize, which is kind of a, a mix of, of both of them. And uh, so a ton of different techniques. And let me think, what else did we cover? Tactical empathy. We hinted at some other stuff, but what am I missing, Henry? Uh, getting to know. Figuring out the negative to diffuse and get to a solution quicker. I think that was mostly it. Um, and we stopped right when we got to like the numbers, the hardcore. So I think we should Why pick is, up. Is my screen orange? Like what is a little going bit, on here? A little bit. But that's that's probably your tablet's auto white balance. Is that what that is? Probably. Some like mine's game. weirdly green. Uh, yeah. It's because of the walls. Um, let's pick up with Ackerman model. So basically you can do all the things we talked about uh but you still might clam up in the negotiation, especially when it's over numbers. It's because when I like, this is just a fact money when there's money transitioning between two people, like it's an emotional thing. One person's losing money. Uh, well, yeah, one person might not be getting the money they want. You're losing money by paying. It, it's just an emotional thing. Uh, so that's where the, the Ackerman model comes in. Before we say that with the other techniques, there's a reason this comes later in the book is because you really first understand them, like put yourself in their, their shoes. And then you want to avoid numbers. Like you saying numbers as long as possible is generally the takeaway. So that's what we talked about before, before you even say a single number and use this Ackerman model, you can say no to whatever they come out with for the first price in several different ways. And it's usually the first ones like, Oh, how am I supposed to do that? And the the whole like breakthrough that I, I had last episode was you're trying to now get them inside your shoes. Right. So how am I supposed to do that? Now they're thinking, how can they solve your problems? And it's And then you hit them with uh the next no is like, I'm sorry, I just I, I can't come up that high on price. Like compliment them, be like, Oh, that's super generous. Uh thanks for coming down. I, I just I still can't do that price. And that's another no, and you do that two more times. Um, okay, but the Ackerman model. This is where we get into the 
actual brass tacks, mathematics can't go wrong. Basically, it's this model of negotiation where you figure out your final price. That's the amount you want to pay. Uh, let's take my grandma again with her dog. So the person's asking 1800 but discard that. My grandma wants to pay $1,000 for the dog. She thinks that's fair. She also wants to begin the negotiation by offering $1,000. And I'm like, Nani, don't do that. You'll pay 1500 But okay, so she wants to pay $1,000 for the dog. The Ackerman model is four things. You begin with an offer that's 65% of your final target price. Then you move up to, you know, with all the tactics we've talked about, your next price is 85% of your final price, then 95% of your final price. And then finally, on your final price, final, final price, it's good to give them kind of this really odd number that doesn't end in a zero or a five to make it seem like you've put thoughtful calculation behind that number. So in her case, in my grandma's case, I told her you should first offer $650, anchor low. Um, she won't do any of this, but whatever. And then, you know, you talk, 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 be lighthearted, whatever. Next time you throw out a number, it should be 850, 85%, and then 950. And then the last thing I would say is probably like, okay, you know what? You're really squeezing me here. I will hit my absolute limit and that's $1,013. That's just what I can do. He talks about things you can do like throwing in uh, non-monetary items to really show that like they're squeezing you for every last penny when in reality you're at the price you wanted to pay. What are your thoughts on Ackerman? I use it all the time. I, it, it doesn't fail. Um, There's so many aspects I love. One, generally, if you you follow how it went, so 65 to 85, you're making a 20, whatever, a jump that, of 20 right. percentage so that's the points. Thing. It's a big jump. And then, yeah, so $200 in this scenario. And the next jump is only $100. So it's decreasing. So it shows like you're, you're getting trimmed down and it's like you're squeezing the person. So they feel like they're winning. And then finally, you get to that odd number. And I've had people in the past, I mean, Henry, you've done a, a billion more negotiations. I'm sure there's some weird stories of people trying to do tactics on you. But I've had people come with calculators, like on the other side, like trying to put in what number. Oh. They're like, this is my absolute limit. They're like running the math in front of me. I'm like, dude, come on, I know this trick. But that's good, though. It works. It works. And he mentions like writing on a notepad, like actually pretending to do the math. Um, what's cool, too that non-monetary factor that you mentioned, Henry, they had this story in the book about in Haiti. And I, th- I don't know if this was 10, 20 years ago, but this was the kidnapping capital of the world because it the, the government just broke down. And what they found out in the, the big perspective with the book is like, get as much information, understand the other side. People were kidnapping like crazy, but they were just teens that wanted to have parties on the weekends and go just crazy with their ransom money. So what they ended up realizing is like, hey, we just had to delay the negotiations until like Friday and then they're going to be more desperate. We can get them below $5,000 when normally it's 20,000 plus that they'd have to I pay. remember that. So, and but, they were asking things like, you know, let's say the ransom was $100,000 or whatever. They'd ask enough questions to figure out that all those kids really wanted was like $4,200. That's all they really needed for their parties. So that's why like buying time is so important, gathering information, figuring out what they actually want and need. And it was funny too, because (laughs) that that specific example, they get down, uh, they get down to like $4,200 and whatever, $4,237 or something. And 
the last straw is like, and uh, um, if you really need it, I think I have like a, a CD player I can throw in. <laughs> and it's like, dude, they don't want the CD player, but it, it shows like, all right, I think I, I reached I'm the limit. And I do that all the time. So let's say I'm buying a whole bunch of camera gear and I've, I've done my Ackerman model. I'm at my limit, which is where I want to be because it's my 20% margin. And I'm like, so we usually meet at, at a coffee shop. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm here $1,013. It's my absolute max. I, you know, this is short notice. Um, I'll buy you a coffee when we meet up. Like that's just the best I can do. And that cost me $3, but it's a, actually a really nice gesture. Um, so gifts and non-monetary things kind of uh, just sweeten the deal. What I like to generally it's, it's trying to find out like where the limit is. And that's, I just watched a, a YouTube video of Chris Voss too. And he's talking about that question, like, how am I supposed to do this? And that's a great way to, to figure out how hard that number is for them. So if, if you're like, how am I supposed to do that? And they're like, I don't know, like, that's just the price. Like you have to accept it. Then you realize like, they're not going to budge at all. But if they're like, oh, well, um, I, I guess we could take off xyz if you don't need it or we can rearrange this like if they're trying to problem solve for you then it, it shows that there's some wiggle room versus it's like a, a good way to probe without uh killing the the negotiations right sometimes in in that vein too i'll start so we're not really getting anywhere we're kind of in a rut i'll start like taking things out of the bundle deal let's say it's a bunch of cameras and lenses i'll start taking a few lenses out of the package deal, asking them like, then where are they at to, in my mind, try and figure out how they're valuing each thing. And then as they start to piece it apart, I think they start to realize like, I don't really want to piece this apart. And then I come back and hit them with a slightly better offer on the full thing. Same thing. Like, let's say I'm buying, I've, I've done this before. I bought expensive, like uh, classic car, right. And we're just not really getting anywhere. Um, I will take a step back and ask a calibrated question like it's probably completely unrelated um i'll say something like let's let's put price aside for a moment um what's the gas mileage on on this like what do you usually get or or how do you maintain the transmission do you have mechanic just to like get away from the monetary stuff for a minute and and get more information and then if they say well it cost me 1200 bucks a year to work this transmission because it's always breaking down then i have another piece of leverage so i i I love numbers yeah yeah that's uh i think you can take a step back and they have so many of these what and how questions that you can ask to really get more information like where sometimes it's just price is a sticking point but maybe you can come up with different terms or whatever be like i mean what's what's the biggest obstacle with this price or like why like just get more information because that's just more that you what's stopping i actually i remember uh one time i was buying a car we were sitting in the car test driving together and i just kept asking calibrated questions trying to feel him out and he was like yeah you know I, I, i'm getting rid of the car because uh i'm a bit behind on a bathroom renovation in the house and you know i'm 10 10 grand in the hole you were with me when i bought this car you weren't there for that conversation he's like i'm 10 grand in the hole and so boom right there i know he needs ten thousand dollars you know, and he's asking 13 or 14 for the car. That was a big mistake on his part. Um, and I got it for something like that. Have you, do you have something to say? No, I, I, I just remember about, you getting that for like yeah. 11 or, or even less. Actually. I think 10, five. And I, it was because he wanted to renovate his bathroom. That's the, actually he talks about the black swan. Finding the black swan, which is like, 
the crux of the other person's problem or the reason they're asking what they're asking. In this case, that guy's black swan was renovating his bathroom and it was going to cost him 10 grand. And if I could give him that in cash, he was going to take it. Um, have you negotiated, this is another important point. Have you negotiated salary before? Because I know we've talked about it a lot with you. And then we can talk about like ranges. Yeah, I'm probably more than your average 23-year-old just because, I mean, I don't know. I, my understanding is when it's very corporate, like you can't negotiate as much or it doesn't seem, I feel like people, our friends just kind of accept whatever it is within a certain range. But I was constantly like, hey, um, whatever, in three or six months, like I want to be an exceptional member of the team. Like, what do I have to do to get to that level? And then I'd, I'd have the benchmark and I'd, we just sometime around, then we'd have the the talk and it's like, how did I, how did I live up to the expectations we wanted? And so I, I try and do it a lot. Granted, I'm sure there's like, I'm no expert on this. I've, I've looked into it a bit, but, um, did it work? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, generally if you're no. proactive in the same it worked better as in like I was getting a higher salary than anyone else my age working at the company. But, uh, but yeah, I think if you take the proactive approach and then you can even ask the question when you finally get to the price and they have, I think they have examples in the book of someone going to business school and he like seeds the idea. It's like, Oh, once I graduate, this is roughly the range of graduates. And now for three months, they're thinking about, Oh, once he graduates from business school, he's going to be in this price range. Um, so whatever, just seeding the idea early, then you live up to expectations. And when they don't say they don't come to that price, it's like, oh, I thought we agreed on like, this is what an exceptional employee is. Uh, are, are we misunderstanding something or, or is there something that changed since we last talked? I think there, are, there was actually a lot of that in, I will teach you to be rich too, in terms of, cause he's like, you know, if you can't do all these things I'm saying, well, then you need to make more money and that's how you do it. Um, but, but Chris Voss in this book talks about the importance when it comes to numbers and negotiating of um, establishing ranges, right? So let's say I want to go work at Google and I want to make 90 grand. That's, you know, whatever living expenses. And Google knows that I go there, they give that to me. In an alternate scenario, what I can do is when I'm uh, applying to work for Google, you, you can say something on the order of, you know, if it's a negotiation, you've gotten the, the job and there's an offer on the table. You can say, hey, Google, you know, <laughs> hey, Google, that's going to trigger uh, Google's I around the world. Mine, dude. Oh, real quick story. I don't know how, but my mom's like automatically connected to my Google and she's never used it before. And her call was routing through my mm-hmm. Google voice. I had to unplug that and throw <laughs> that in the drawer. It's it's gone, dude. That shit was listening and I don't like it. I don't like it at all. <laughs> it's so evil. Um, <laughs> so you say, okay, Google. I think that's Google's tag. Okay, Google, right? Um, oh, my headphones came unplugged. So you go to Google and you say, uh, you know, people at Facebook, Apple, and uh, Yahoo, whatever, in a similar position are making between $108,000 and $145,000. So, you know, how can we get to that point? And what's important here is when you throw out a range like that, $108,000 to $140,000, the employer in that instance or whoever you're negotiating with, like if I say, well, this car is usually worth like nine to 12 grand, um, 
the Google, the employer, is going to much rather pay you something near to the 108000 because that sounds a whole lot cheaper to them, a whole lot better to them than the 140000 But you just wanted 90000 uh, So that's why ranges are so important. It's kind of a mode of anchoring that puts you, uh, like the employer is going to go to the low end, but because the other, the opposite of that spectrum was so high, it still works in your favor. That's why I think ranges are really cool. I don't do it enough. Yeah, it's the safe way to anchor. Like Chris is generally against anchoring, or at least it seems. And unless it's through this range or through verbally anchoring with what we talked about last episode, like, hey, I, I know like you have your number. My, my number's a lot lower. It's just, it's where I'm at financially and, and here it is. Like, so you anchor them mentally to a lower price. Um, obviously, we're talking about different sides of the the negotiations in this scenario but um yeah i mean there's <laughs> there's so much like the amount of applicable what's the most um what's the biggest aspect of your life that that you're negotiating in i mean me it's like obviously monetary consumer electronics uh what are you negotiating every day what i was there are, there are two take takeaways like one if i was still working for the company the biggest one takeaway i'd say is just selling my ideas because i was mm, getting into the higher level like what do we huge. want to do as a company so that was that was so big in terms of like understanding everyone's perspective that's going to be involved in whatever my proposal is so um we had coaches and if i wanted the coaches to do like have this new curriculum for their students i would like when I was first a beginner before I read this book and kind of more about empathy, I would just kind of sell them from the start. Like, oh, here's here's why this is awesome, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe the problem I'm trying to solve doesn't even exist or they don't acknowledge it exists. So uh, someone in the company, this guy, Johnny, who's awesome, he, he came in and he helped me kind of integrate this book. And he's like, hey, just start talking about their problems, like the biggest issues they're having in coaching and direct it towards what you think the biggest issue is. So like student outcomes weren't as good as they could have been or whatever. And I try and connect the dots and then I'm like, Oh, how do you, how do you think we can solve this problem? And I'll take like whatever nuggets kind of match up to my idea and just slowly mold mm -hmm. it into, to my solution. Because then they think they've come up with the solution and they have in a sense, you've come up with it together, but it's been totally uh, bent toward your reality. Actually, I think Chris Voss talks about bending reality. I think yeah. that's anchoring is is bending their reality. Yeah, and the he calls it the illusion of control too. When it's like the ball's in their court, but like you're directing the game, you're pulling the strings. That's super cool. So that's what I've in the past. I think that's massive in terms of anything. Like you say, you want to go to some country with your friends or something like that. You could probably even be like, oh, what kind of ask them what experiences they want to have. And once they're like, oh, we want to do these crazy things, then you're like, oh, this country has it all. Or like, have you considered Africa or whatever? And they're like, no, I actually haven't. Be like, I don't know. I, there's so many ways to. And that's how I get this. you and all our friends to go where I want to go for spring breaks. Yeah. <laughs> that's why you can't let someone who is a side hustler on eBay king of negotiations ah, true the next thing i want to do is run the great wall i'm reading a book now about this guy that ran the length of the great wall we were just there and we're not going back there you you got to think of a new way to sell that 
And I don't like running. Tomas said he was in. Um, not, pop. not pop. Well, that's like mostly it. Oh, I also have uh, using your name. I've done before. Like, what's the Henry discount? You know, uh, what's the what's the that's another thing to kind of use if you're in a rut. I was in a go- negotiation with this guy and we realized we went to the same high school. He lived like far away. So it was kind of coincidence. Uh, we went to this place called OPRF and I just joked like, oh, you might have to give me the OPRF discount. And that again, forces empathy. Um, I'm not sure if it did much in, in my case, but I think it definitely keeps the mood light. What? Cause I think this is intimidating, but a lot of people have these circumstances, whether it's buying whatever a computer, or like whatever the negotiation is, like what's, what do you come in thinking? going into a negotiation are you like oh i'm gonna banter for a little bit just kind of get some more info out of them and then after 10 minutes jump into stuff like what's going through your head actually so here's here's what happened um i used to meet up with people online and negotiate in person and people would we we wouldn't always come this was before i had some of these tricks when it came to negotiation but we we wouldn't always come to an agreement um so yes maybe the the sales that i did do I had a better edge in person because the money was right in front of their face, but it just became a huge waste of time for me. So now I negotiate before buying items. Um, so when we meet up, it's just a matter of, of me testing it out. And I've completely turned the Ackerman model into a formula. So I have a whole master spreadsheet of, of all the gear I buy and the price it's going for my final price, factoring all the fees, my margin, shipping, whatever. And then it spits out for me a first offer, 65%, second offer, 85, 95, and final price. And I pretty much just follow that. I try and implement these things in text and email. It's a bit harder, but usually after four offers showing that I've like really come up and I'm really stretching my budget, I usually close. Um, and the ones I don't close on, it's fine because I'm not going to hit my margin and uh, I don't, I don't want to lose money. So, and the whole premise of this book, Never Split the Difference, it comes from like, say, I think he uses the example of your your wife wants you to wear black shoes and you want to wear brown shoes. It's like, oh, if you split the difference, you're going to end up wearing one black mm-hmm. and one brown. Like, that's ridiculous. So, you just got to figure out like, all right, here's your line. You want this or you walk away from the deal. And like, in this case, the numbers just wouldn't check out. So, you'd, you'd walk away. But what I like about this scenario is it's so scalable versus you having to go in person and like, you know, throw around your cash and stuff like that. You can just have someone anywhere right. doing this for you. Right. And I've, I've made it into a mathematical model and taken the human elements out of the negotiation just because I do it so much for things like, let's say I'm buying a car that I, I mean, I, of course I do in person cause you get more leverage. Um, but these things that I'm buying and selling all day long, I don't have the time to negotiate in person anymore. And people I, uh, would just get mad at me. People would like be yelling at me for insulting them inside of Starbucks. I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's take it down a notch here. We're surrounded by people in Starbucks. You, Come on. It, it, it seems like you're upset at me. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- that's the thing. There are so like these tactics say, like I, I just did uh labeling, but say mirroring, I used to do that a little bit before kind of knowing the whole approach and waiting where I'd see it work better in waiting tables because I, I did that for like six years. Someone's like, oh, can I have a whatever, a, a martini and lobster roll fries, but I, I don't want any ketchup or anything. 
And I'd be like, okay, martini, lobster roll, fries, but no ketchup. And dude, they, they just and then what happens? Uh, oh, I they, mean, it makes them feel like you understood. Yeah, it's like they trust, oh, he's not going to mess up my question. order. I have a question. I have a question. Did you write down orders or did you memorize them? Dude, I one, I'm too stupid to memorize. Okay, Two, people you. hate it when you start doing that. It is one of my biggest pet peeves. The The servers think like, oh, I'm going to be professional and... They get something wrong every single time. You cannot be waiting eight tables in prime time and memorizing orders and where things need to go. It's fine. Just write it down. It's like Right. I, I mean, I'd be curious to see the data because sometimes if they get it right, then I'll be like, all right, I'll tip them a little bit more. So I don't That's know. That's a good point. It is impressive when it's done right. But it, it's a stressful 40 minutes waiting for your food or whatever it is. It's like, oh, did they... They give me uh especially when you start pulling things like you just said, like no ketchup, extra lettuce. I don't like those people either. Just order the item as it is on the menu, unless you have a reason not to. But dude, that industry is so stressful. I'm so glad I'm out of I'll I'll like be driving around town and be thinking about how I used to bike to work and like dude just work eight hours straight of just people angry at you and they're all rich and like expecting everything from you. But God, we're just shooting podcasts these days. Even worse now, right? Yeah. Where everyone's just out having a good time and you're trying not to catch freaking COVID serving them. Oh, my goodness. The So, I think the biggest, like, even more from just negotiating stuff, because I now I'll just buy on Amazon for a lot of stuff. Like, I'm not haggling very often, but the when techniques. Yeah. <laughs> travel, dude, we have so many stories. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> We can talk about that later, but yeah, it's just, there are so many circumstances just in everyday conversation. Like now, uh, this morning I was reading a lot about interviewing and active listening and interviewing and how to ask good questions and just how to show you're present. So I've just been crushing content on just empathy in general because now I'm like, oh, that's, that's the key to kind of getting people to trust you and then trust is just going to make it much easier for you to. Yeah. I have a, I have a really good friend. Um, he's one of my only friends that does this from home. He listens so intently and in a conversation, pretty much all he's doing is asking questions. Some are mirrors, some are calibrated questions. He's not doing it intentionally, but it shines. Like I know he cares and he is such a good active listener. I want to be more like that. Uh, it like really, really resonates. I've been trying to think because I can name easily people that are the opposite. They're bad listeners, but I'm trying to think like, I guess your friend in this scenario, I'm trying to think like who, who would just sit in a room with me and just let me talk for two hours straight. Like it. No, I know people that like, they're like looking at their phone trying to talk to you and they're just coming in and out. They're clearly not listening. And that drives me kind of crazy when they get bits and pieces wrong. And then you're just kind of like talking to a wall and then it's just, it's obviously not empathetical. That's empathetical. Empathetical. Empathetic. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, Empathetic. It's, it's not empathetic. (laughs) (laughs) Empathetical. Sounds a lot cooler. But yeah, I think that's just like Henry said, like people are hooked on technologies these days. It's if you can show that you really care about them, understanding them, and then kind of weave together both of you. So you're on the same team trying to solve these problems of, all right, you kind of, you want a number, I want a number. um, And 
and let's just figure out a way to get there. That's that's the crux of this all. So I'm addicted to, to tactical empathy and empathy in general right now. Actually, I have one last uh, anecdote. This is very recent. This was yesterday. So I told you a couple of times, like I've been suspended on eBay for the last week or two. Uh, super frustrating. But uh, I would go in. So eBay is not like answering phones right now, which is a bummer for me because I love talking to customers or you wouldn't expect it. I love talking to customer service people on the phone <laughs> and that's pretty much all I do all day. But um, so you can go in and chat with a human. And every time I did that, they're like, no, sorry, your account's suspended. You're a risk to the eBay community. There's nothing we can do. You can't appeal this. It must have happened 10, 15 times. Yesterday, finally, I was like, screw this. I'm not making any money. I'm already broke. Now I'm going more broke. So um, I do some sleuthing. I finally figure out a phone number and I give them a call. It's not the department I want, but I just need to talk to a human. And on the phone, I'm like, hey, you know, my account's been suspended. I think it's because of this. And the guy just starts laughing. He's like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. We just need to confirm your identity. There was a fraud thing. So I'm more than happy to help you through that. And he lifted the suspension in like five minutes. It's just the importance of like being face to face with someone and like having empathy. It was easy for the people behind the screen to just shut me down as, as a risk or whatever on chat. As soon as I got on the phone with someone, the problem was solved. It's like, you have to call these places and talk to a human. You have to go meet up with someone if you're arguing or like in a negotiation. That's why I hate online dating. Biggest qualm. It's just so easy to shut someone down. But if you go up to them in person, oh, then like yeah. you, you just get your oh, foot totally. in the door and you can they can hear you out much better. We I should mean, make an online dating app that has no online chat function. What if you just call? Is that Hinge? I don't even know. Like... Hmm. no 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 you no no you did this thing for a while where you just called people nobody likes that dude everyone <laughs> no, like calling no, no. <laughs> i swear dude dylan calling would have like a date so or something good. no listen listen to me right now dylan would have like a date or something and um instead of texting them out of the blue he'd just call them and it, no people get no, freaked right. out easy with the out that. of the blue all right this is what would happen i'd meet them in person and be like hey uh, here, save my number so that when I call you, you'll see my name. And then they'd save my number and like, all right, now I see the idea of a call. So it's not out of the blue. And how did that go for you? It went well because I called a lot of people, but most people aren't used to no, talking to no, semi-strangers no. on the phone. No, no, no. So We're going to get our last guest back. We're going to talk about the calls. M- MC? No, Ice. Ice. <laughs> Ice. He knows about the calls. Um, I think that's it. I think that's it. Get on the phone. Talk to people in person. We're going to make a new dating app, apparently, where you have to meet up with people. Uh, you probably need a background check for that. But um, anything else? No, that's it. Keep working on soft skills because uh, that's that's massive. So I, oh, I think... one more thing. One more thing. Yeah. Sorry. Shoot. Um, I found myself personally, like, uh, a few months ago, I noticed that I, like, wasn't really good at sustaining eye contact with people in conversation. I would say something and look at the wall, whatever. I started adding to, I did like a a daily reflection or something at the beginning of the day, daily focus tracker. And just every day I wrote down like, I'm going to be better today about looking at people in the eyes. And after writing down and writing down and writing down, every single time I had a conversation, I remembered to look people in the eyes and like over time that habit. So like if for instance, I don't know, you want to be better at not throwing out the first number if you're in a negotiation. 
I suggest like write it down, get it on paper. So you remember these things. That's a really powerful thing. And now I can stare you down. I mean, yeah, I got to look. It's really weird because you got to look down to the left, but I know your eyeballs are in that. But that's, I actually, because Chris mentioned it in the book, the best, one of the best, I don't know if he calls her a negotiator, but just best, whatever, empathizers is Oprah. In Mm. that she would always just get to the crux of how people are feeling and really just internally feel what they're feeling, connect with them on a level that no one has. So Charisma on Command actually had a good video that we can link on Oprah and we, how she does it. You. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, the, the team will link. That wasn't uh, Dylan saying okay. That was Dylan saying that his VA will do it. So, okay. Thank you. Him. Thank you for all you do. So, Oprah's awesome. Uh, I'm looking more into her content. But uh, yeah, it's just like touch, eye contact, just the, the simple facts. But Easy I find touch. myself even... <laughs> huh easy touch yeah come on gotta get one of those little blankets that you can feel like each person has a blanket and you can feel each other huh if, if you touch the blanket in a certain way it'll like like i, if you're know, I saw it on a future distance. show like 10 years ago so i figured it was real yeah okay but uh but yeah so that's that's the gist i'm working on eye contact like henry said i guess we're both uh sociopaths that just look at the ceiling <laughs> while we talk to people but um great book if uh if you haven't read it already read it i mean it's it's one of the top like on amazon it's like 4.8 plus stars so it's people love it thousands of reviews etc um that's it for now i don't know what we're doing tomorrow maybe we'll just wing it i got a lot of podcasts i want to break down so can't do another review tomorrow can't let's do have another. someone on thanks for listening Thanks for being here. Make sure you're subscribed and you're leaving reviews because I don't know. That's what they say you got to do. And we'll see you tomorrow.